Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 56, and that's where we're going to begin today. Um, last week, I talked with you about four things that please God. I shared with you that there are many other things that please the Lord. Today, I just want to talk about two more of those things. But last week, we talked about reading our Bible. How many remember that? Reading our Bible pleases the Lord. And then obeying our Bible pleases the Lord. Giving to missions pleases the Lord. And we talked some about Israel, remember? Remember? Good, good. And then we talked about living holy. Living holy pleases the Lord. Today, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about two more things that please the Lord, and those are prayer and faith. Prayer and faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for counting me faithful, Lord, to be able to deliver it week after week, year after year. I pray, Father, that you would touch our eyes that we may see. Touch our ears that we may hear. I pray that you would inspire our understanding that we would be enlightened. Touch my lips of clay that I would be able to accurately and with fluency and simplicity be able to explain what is on your heart today for this people. I give myself to you as your vessel. We give ourselves to you to be filled up with your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Isaiah 56, and um, verse number 7. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. In my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. A house of prayer for all people. Look at your neighbor and say, all means all. I think sometimes if we don't watch it, we get segregated by culture. We get segregated by class. We get segregated by social rungs in society. God's Word says that His house should be called a house of prayer for all people. Jesus repeated this passage of Scripture in the New Testament when the money changers were there in the temple. And He made a whip and He drove the money changers out of the temple crying out, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of of thieves. Now just let me kind of explain that for just a few moments to a few folks that are here today. Some of you have already heard it, but there's always new people here and sometimes the new people need further understanding also as we all do occasionally. What was happening there was the priest had devised a way to try to raise the budget for the temple and they were profiting from the sacrifices of God's house. So what would happen is the people would come to the temple and they would offer their turtle dove or they would offer their lamb or whatever it was they were offering to be sacrificed. 
And the priest would look at that turtle dove or look at that lamb and they would examine it to see if it met the criteria for a sacrifice. And what was going on is they had set up a racket, if you will. And what they were doing was they were saying, well, you know what, this turtle dove doesn't qualify because of what such and such, but there are some over there that we have in some cages that we've already examined and they qualify. So just go ahead and just leave it here. We'll take it like as a down payment or whatever and go over there and get one that's already been examined and qualified and you can just go on in and do what you need to do. And then when they would go in and do what they needed to do and leave, then they would take the turtle dove that that person had brought and put it over here in this cage and do the same thing over and over and over again. So they would sell them turtle doves or lambs or sacrifices that had been examined previously that they said was, was not qualifying, but now since the person is gone, they'll put them over here and make a buck on it. And so this is what Jesus, Jesus was standing out here in the courtyard of the temple and he was seeing this go on and the more he watched it, the more angry he became. And he devised and made a whip and he turned over the money changers of the temple. He drove them out of the temple hollering, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I think that the primary thing that Jesus was concerned about was the fact that the church is supposed to be a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a place where there is communication with God going on all of the time. I was watching Pastor Jim Simbala. He's the pastor of the church in Brooklyn that has the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And I was watching him do a little talk about this and uh, it was at some kind of a minister's conference. And he got up and he began to talk to the ministers and he told them, he said, the thing that the church today is lacking is real, true, genuine prayer. He said, we get caught up in programs. We get caught up in different things that we think will work to bring another person into the seat and to set them there and to build our numbers and to inflate our numbers. And when we, if we don't watch it, we become nothing more than two-bit preachers instead of people that stand up and try to move their people to pray. And then he went this direction. He said, and it's not all our fault because we can have the church open for prayer. We can have prayer meetings. We can preach it. We can pray about it. We can minister. We can inspire. And if you have 15 people out of 100 that show up to pray, you have had smashing success. And then he asked this question, how do you think God feels about that? And I thought to myself, how do you think God feels about that? Then I began to examine my own personal life. Am I praying enough? I'm not talking about praying when I'm driving down the road. I'm not talking about praying when I'm walking through Walmart, which I do very rarely. I don't like Walmart. You've got to walk a mile to get something to save a buck. I don't know. I just would rather go to the family dollar store or something. I don't know. Go there and get my candy bar. 
But that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about setting aside a specific time every single day where you say, God, this is our intimate time together. This is the time that I have set aside for you. And God, it's not going to be five minutes and it's not going to be 10 minutes. Lord, I'm going to spend some quality time with you and I'm not leaving until I have gotten into your presence and had communion with you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about just getting down. Sometimes we think prayer is kneeling down at the altar and giving God our list of requests. And when we get through talking, we get up and we feel like we're done praying. No, 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 no. When you have asked the Lord for everything that you can think of, then you need to sit there twice as long with your ears open and listen if God wants to say anything back to you. The Bible said that we will pray in the Spirit and we will pray with understanding also. There are many times in prayer when I'll come to the Lord and I'll say, Heavenly Father, I don't know what you're trying to... I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know what you're trying to say to me. And so then I'll just start walking back and forth, sometimes in the sanctuary here, sometimes in my office, and I'll just start walking back and forth, or maybe here on the stage, and I'll just begin to worship, and I'll just begin to praise Him. And many times I'll go into the Spirit and just pray in tongues and just minister and, and pray in the Spirit and minister to the Lord. And as I'm praying in tongues, many times what I went to the Lord and said, God, I don't understand, begins to unfold to me, and I begin to see the answer. It's as if I had always known it. That's what the Bible means when it says, I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray in understanding also. Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. 2 Chronicles 7.14, I still believe this scripture. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that means we have to do that ourselves. We have responsibility here. If we will humble ourselves and pray, and not just pray, but seek my face. That's intense prayer. That's hot prayer. That's prayer on purpose. That's going after God. That's going after the heart of God. That's going after the purpose of God. That's going after what God wants. God, I'm not just going to pray, but I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to seek after you, oh God. I'm going to seek your will out, God. I'm going to seek your passion out, God. I'm going to seek you until that passion gets inside of me. And the Bible said, if we'll seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. So we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek his face, and we turn from our wicked ways. Then the word of God says, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land. What if all we do is just pray? and not seek His face. What if all we do is just pray and not turn from our wicked ways? Then we're not keeping up our end of the covenant. The Bible says that when Pentecost came in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 14, that they had been continuing in prayer and supplication. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the Comforter came. Ten days in the upper room, waiting before the Lord. 120 people in the upper room, praying with prayer and supplication for 10 solid days. And then all of a sudden, 
when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Bible said there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. But don't forget that was at the end of 10 days of continual prayer. Well, I'm believing God for a personal Pentecost. I'm believing God for a personal move of God. I'm believing God that God will move. I'm believing God for revival. Listen, we can believe, 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 believe all we want, but if we don't pray, prayer and faith without works is dead. We're going to have to put some prayer behind our faith. We're going to have to put some prayer. We're going to have to tear down strongholds. We're going to have to say, devil, this is the line and you don't cross it. We need to start pleading the blood over our families again. We need to start pleading the blood over our lives again. We need to start pleading the blood over our finances again. Pleading the blood over our health again. We need to start pleading the blood over our church again. And we need to start crying out, God, send revival. A revival of prayer. A revival of passion. A revival of faith. A revival where People's hearts and lives are changed. The Bible said that prayer and fasting are keys to victory. Mark chapter 9, 28 through 29, when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast the devil out of that person? And Jesus said to them, this kind doesn't go out but by prayer and fasting. Some things are only resolved through prayer and and fasting. If you can't get victory, stay faithful, overcome sinful habits. If you can't quit being angry, maybe you should try prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting pushes down the flesh and allows the spirit to thrive. If you want God to move in your situation, fast and pray. And believe God and trust God. Quit mixing it up with the devil. You're never going to be able to argue the devil out of doing what he wants to do. But you can fast him away. And you can pray him away. And you can stand in his face and tell him, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And he has to flee. The Word of God says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can resist all day long, but if you're not living submitted, then resisting has no punch. How do I submit? Through fasting and through prayer. Our number one enemy, church, is ourselves. So many people blame the devil for what they've done to themselves. Look at, the, look at your neighbor and say, Pastor's plowing corn this morning. I want you to live in victory. I want you to have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. 
I want you to experience the presence of God and the power of God alive and at work in your house and in your life and in your home. And I'm telling you, many times when you've hit a brick wall, you're going to have to fast and pray your way through it. It's the only way to do it. The principles of prayer work the world over. Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 11 says this, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. When you ask, when you seek, when you knock, then you are involved in the activity of faith that makes things happen. When you ask, God's Word says you will receive. I've had people come to my office before. I don't know why the Lord doesn't do this for me. And sometimes I'll just look at them under the unction of the Holy Spirit and I'll say, well, have you ever asked Him to? And you would be surprised at the aha moments that you get sometimes because it's almost like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. But it's the principles of prayer, asking and seeking and knocking. You know what all of that means? I'm not going to take no from the devil. That's what that means. I'll ask until I receive. I'll seek until I find. I'll knock until the door is open that I know that God has given me and I'm not going to let the devil take it away from me. The devil can't have my family. The devil can't have my home. The devil can't have my finances. The devil can't have my health. The devil can't have my welfare. I'm not going to let him have it. I've asked the Lord for it. He's given it to me because of Calvary. I'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added unto me. So I've got the seeking down. Then when I'm in the hallway and I don't know where to go or what to do or what decision to make and these doors open and shut and open and shut and open and shut. I know if I go through the wrong door that I've went the wrong way that it's, I mean, my, listen, nobody's responsible for the decisions that you make in your life but you. You're going to live today on the choices you made yesterday. So ask God to help you make good decisions. Many doors will be presented to you. Ask God which one to knock on. And then knock until it opens. Asking and seeking and knocking. The Bible said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, to be anxious for nothing or careful for nothing in the King James but be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Go to God. Let your request be made known unto God. Well, God knows everything. Why do I have... God knows what I need. Why do I have to ask Him about it? It's your activity of faith. That is you acknowledging 
that, you know what, God, you are my source and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe you and I'm not going to be anxious in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Fervent prayers of faith are very effective when they are prayed, listen to me, by righteous people. In James chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, the Bible says, and the prayer of faith. Somebody say the prayer of faith. Prayer of, faith. of faith. Shout of faith. of faith. The prayer of faith. Not mental assent, the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and listen to this, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Did you know, and, and when I was uh, going over this again this morning, because I, on Sunday mornings what I like to do is get, to get, get together with the Lord, you know, and just go over the outline that he gave me earlier that week. And so as I was going over this again this morning, it's like the Lord said you need to really emphasize the point that when you pray for a sick person and you anoint them with oil and you pray the, pray, pray, pray the prayer of faith that not only will I heal them, but when they turn and walk away, their sins are forgiven. That's the word. That's the word. It's what the word says. The Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Are you ready for this? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not the effectual, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. Not the effectual, God is good, God is great prayer. But the effectual, fervent prayer. That word fervent there means hot and passionate. The effectual, passionate, fervent, hot prayer of a righteous man availeth much. One of the benefits of being righteous. You give your life to Jesus, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Activate that righteousness by faith. Make a demand on that, on God because of that. God's word said, command ye me. Take the word of God. Apply it to your heart and your life. Pray the prayer of faith in a fervent way. And it'll become effective because you were made the righteousness of God in Christ and you are righteous before Him. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And His ears are open unto their prayers. Now listen. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. If you would have been one of the 20 or 25 that was here last Wednesday night, you would have heard me minister to you, quit complaining and start praying. And I used this passage of Scripture when I was talking to you because the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. When you complain, you're doing evil. 
You're giving the devil something to work with. Speak out words of faith. Speak out words of faith. Speak out the word of God. Well, I can't think of anything good to say. Then just start quoting scripture for goodness sake. Don't let that other stuff come out of your mouth. Just start quoting scripture. Give God something to work with. Don't complain. Pray. Pray scripture. Embrace your identity as a son of God, heir of God, joint heir with Christ, as a righteous man, as a righteous woman. Embrace that identity and realize when I pray hot prayers, passionate prayers, when I pray a prayer that comes from my heart, from within my being, when I pray those prayers, then the Bible says that, that those prayers are effective and that they avail much. So Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. I think it's important for us to say, you know what? We need to spend a lot more time in prayer. We need to pay attention to prayer. Supplication, thanksgiving, fervent prayer. And the second thing I want to talk to you about tonight is the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, without faith. We're talking about pleasing God, right? For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. I wanted to preach this last week so bad I couldn't hardly stand it. I was tasting it, but the Lord wouldn't let me. He said, you got to save that for next week. The Bible said without faith, it is impossible to please Him or to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. First of all, God's Word teaches us that we must believe that He is. The foundation of our relationship with Jesus Christ is the belief that Jesus is who He says He is and that God is who He says He is. The subject of the existence of God has been fodder for skeptics for years and years and years. They can't wrap their mind about, around the fact that God can reveal Himself to humanity and humanity can grasp the reality of who God is and come into a relationship with the Creator of all things. They would rather believe that a seed was floating through space and went boom and here you are. They would rather convince you that you came from a monkey. I've seen some people, never mind. Oh, Donna, right after we got married, I'm Tarzan Eugene. They would rather you believe that. They can't wrap their mind around the fact that believing God and trusting God is the very foundation of our faith. Listen, without the existence of God, all uh, our Christianity has to build upon our lifeless doctrines and empty rituals. 
The Bible calls it having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Without faith, the Bible said it is impossible to please God. It's not possible for you to please God if you don't believe that He is. If you want to please God, you first of all have to get that settled inside of you that God is who He says He is, that Jesus is who He says He is, and that you are who God says you are. Hallelujah. So we have to believe that God is. You say, well, I try to believe and I try to believe, but I just don't know if God is there. Then you're not believing. You're walking in doubt. You're walking in doubt. God teaches us that the just shall live by faith. It begins, our walk with God begins on, in confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the subject of the existence of God is something that has been up in the air for a really, really, really long time. Believing that God is explains the very foundation of our faith. Without the existence of God, all our Christianity has to build upon are lifeless doctrines and empty rituals where people have forms of godliness but deny the power thereof. The people of Nazareth were faced with the same crisis when Jesus, the son of Nazareth, walked into town. Let's look at it. In Matthew chapter 13, go there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 13. I'm not sure I understand. Ah, you better understand, Siri. I'm going to get Siri converted here. And Siri saved. Hallelujah. touch that to find out what time it is. I'm not sure I understand. Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13. Jesus returns to Nazareth to his hometown. It comes to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues insomuch that they were astonished. Now this is in his own hometown. And said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is he not his mother is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James, Joseph, and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. Now notice in verse 54, they were astonished. And in verse number 57, all of a sudden, they were offended. They were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Now let's look at this for just a few moments, okay? Jesus visits his hometown, Nazareth, and he gets a lukewarm reception. They say here in verse number 54, coming to his hometown, he begins to teach the people in their synagogues, and they were amazed. 
And they said, where did this man get all of this wisdom and this miraculous power? So intellectually, they knew that he could do mighty works because they'd seen him do it. And intellectually, they realized that his preaching held wisdom and held power. But then their reason got in the way. They said, wait a minute. What, a, what an amazing teaching. What amazing miracles. But aren't you that carpenter's son? Isn't your mama's name Mary? Aren't you the brother of James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and your sisters are here? When did you get all of this stuff? Where did you get it? And the Bible said they took offense at him. <laughs> Familiarity has been the downfall of many ministries. I'm going to go down a little track here, and you may agree with me and you may not, but, I, but it's proved out right here. I love you dearly, but I'm not the same as you. I'm your pastor. If someday the Lord leads me out of here and brings someone else to stand behind this sacred desk and declare the word of the Lord, you are to give them the respect that a man of God or a woman of God is to have. Otherwise, it will stop the flow of God in this house. When I go to convention and I look up there and I see my spiritual leaders, I realize I am under them in the Lord. I am not the state overseer. I am not the regional bishop. I am not the general overseer of the church of God. If I see myself as their equal, then I will suffer spiritually because I have allowed personal pride to get in the way. This is what was happening with Jesus. Jesus went home to Nazareth. They recognized the anointing that was on his teaching. They recognized the anointing that was on his life. But they wanted to commonize him. They wanted to say, you're no better than us because we remember when. I want to tell you something. The anointing that God places on your life does not have a shelf date. The anointing that God places on a man of God's life or a woman of God's life is an anointing that was passed down from previous generations. That anointing was not formed or formulated the day that person was, was born again. That anointing was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And it comes from God. And it comes from God. What would have happened in Nazareth if they would have embraced him not for who he was in the past, but who he is in the present? Now, I'm going to go down this road a little farther. <laughs> These people admitted that Jesus was powerful and wise, but for them to accept him as the Messiah, meant that they were going to have to view him differently. And it made them uncomfortable. 
The church today faces the same challenge that Jesus faced in his hometown. We say that we want revival. But when God starts moving, we back up because we're not familiar with how he's trying to move in this generation. Listen to me, church. I was a kid in the 70s, and I enjoyed church. I was a kid in the 80s, and I enjoyed church. I was a young man pastoring my first church in the early 90s, and I enjoyed church. 2000 to 2010, continuing in ministry, I enjoyed church. But this is 2017, almost 2018. It is not the 70s. It is not the 80s. It is not the 90s. It's not even the year 2000, Y2K. That was almost 20 years ago. Somebody made the statement to me the other day. They said, well, I'm tired of all these new songs. I said, these new songs that you're talking about that are so new are 25 years old. They're not that new. My challenge to us as a church is if God tried to move today, could we recognize it? If Jesus walked into this house right now, I'm talking about in physical form and tried to teach or tried to preach or tried to lead worship or ask us to come forward for prayer or something like that, would we just push him off to the side and say, you're too new generation. I'm not familiar with the way that was. That's not how it happened in the 70s. That's not how it happened in the 80s. It's not how it happened in the 90s. Now, listen, I thank God for that. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But they're supposed to be our foundation, not our present reality. God is trying to reach a generation. God is reaching to a generation. He's reaching into their heart. Things are different than they used to be. My goodness, in the 70s, there wasn't a computer in every home. In the 80s, there wasn't even a computer in every home. In the 90s, computers were coming along, but you had them floppy disks that you had to put in there to get the thing going, remember? Now today, you can pick up your phone and you can hit a button and you can talk to the entire world. It's a different day. It's a different day. We have to embrace the move of God for today. Jesus went back to his hometown and, and Jesus could not move there because they were entrapped in the spirit of commonality. They said, we remember who you were. And I don't know where you got all of this, but we know your roots. And the Bible said that Jesus had to leave because he could do no great work there because of their unbelief. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18, this is a truth that goes from generation to generation and all around the world. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Listen to me, church. Jesus is more than a historical, theological figure or a picture on the wall or just a good man. Jesus is more than a great orator, a poet, or a teacher. Jesus is more than a prophet, a priest, or a king. Jesus is God. 
Hallelujah. The church today has fallen into the trap of trying too hard to humanize or to make Jesus common. We're so proud that we want to reduce him to who we are. He's never going to be who we are. He's God. And he's God all by himself. And we need to get to the point where we say, you know what? I'm going to quit trying to reduce you to a place where I can understand you. And we need to start making effort by faith to allow him to change us and transform us into his image and after his likeness so we can walk in the power of the Spirit and experience the move of God in this generation. Hallelujah. Come on, church. How would we treat Jesus if we treated him like we really believe that he is who he says he is? There's a couple of questions and I'm closing. Patrick, you. I love this guy. How would we treat Jesus if we believe that he is who he says he is? Here's a couple of questions. Would our worship be the same? I mean, if we really believed that Jesus is who he says he is, would our worship be the same? That's number one. Number two, would our commitment level to the cause of Christ change? Our commitment level to the work of the Lord, would it change? Programs are fun, but they don't build a church. They're great for fellowship. People say, well, fellowship will build a church. Fellowship might build a crowd, but except the Lord build the church... They labor in vain, build it. I'm just going to step out here and be real bold because I've seen it for so many years. There is absolutely nothing in the world that will build a church quicker than an authentic move of God. You can ditch every program. You can ditch every fellowship event. You can ditch every small group. All of these little kinds of things. You know, there's some people, they go and they spend thousands of dollars taking their staff to go sit and listen to the experts talk about how that you can entice and woo people to come into the church. But when a pastor gets up and preaches like I preached this morning, all of those people that you spent all that money to entice and woo to come in, most of the time will hit the door. You know why? Because their hearts aren't ready for the truth. We got to allow... We have to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. We have to make room for God. We have to make room for the, for the Lord to move. Faith pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible said, He that comes to God must believe, first of all, that He is, and then here's the second part, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I want him to reward me today with his presence. I'm going to allow him to fit me into his divine order. 
how would our worship change? Would our worship be the same? Would our commitment level change? Long gone would be the days of 30-second prayers and three-minute devotions and excuses for not coming to church. I can't think of any good reason why anyone in America should not come to church. That's pretty bold. Absolutely. Shopaluya. It's another word I made up. We can call it Shopalaluya if you want to. I don't know. Shopalaluya. Shopalaluya. Write a song on that there, Mike Johnson. Write a song. There is absolutely no good excuse for anyone in America to not attend church. None. Well, I just can't get there. You kidding me? There's a church on almost every corner, it seems like. I have never lived somewhere where I couldn't walk to church. We lived in a little place there in Gent, Kentucky once down in a little valley called Walnut Valley. There was probably about 10 houses down in that valley. A little winding thing, you go down there, and we had a little home there that we were buying. It was right beside a llama farm. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful place. That's what we left to come here. <laughs> Love you. Okay. <laughs> Sitting there in Walnut Valley on my front porch, you could look up the hill and on the top of the hill was a little church. Now, it wasn't Pentecostal church, but it was a church. There was no excuse for anyone in that valley to not go to church. The problem in America is commitment to the cause of Christ. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, you, you're going to want to go to church don't have time to get into it, but I preached a message years and years ago. Some of you need to ask Nikki for it. It's called, Can a Man Love God and Not Go to Church? And I traced through some of the lineages of the kings in the Old Testament, and there was one where the Bible said that he loved the Lord, but he wouldn't go into the temple, and his grandchildren were offered as human sacrifices to a God called Moloch. Can a man love God and not go to church? Absolutely, but what's it going to do to your family? You listening to me, men? You stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You quit leaving it to that woman. Man up. Quit leaving it to the woman. You be the leader of your home. Well, I just can't pray like she does. You never will be able to until you step out. Step into your place. And I have never met a good woman who would not lead, follow a man if the man was actually leading. The problem comes when the guy acts like he's just a parked car and he's just along for the ride. It's pretty hard to follow a parked car. But if you love, provide, protect, and take care of her, that woman will follow you to the end of the earth. You know why? Because according to the Word of God, she was fashioned and created for you. And that's where she finds her fulfillment. Wow, I went off on a rabbit trail. 
One more scripture. Let's all stand. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Now listen to this. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The only way that the word will profit is if it's mixed with faith in those of us that hear it. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments here. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.